It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on Toginet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships sans the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now here's your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's show. Uh, as I was, you know, working on some stuff this weekend, I realized that I hadn't delved back into this one book that uh, when I first found it, and it's entitled The Encyclopedia of Unusual Sex Practices. And one of the reasons that I was so interested in this book in the first place is because many times people ask, am I normal? Is this okay? Relative to what they're interested in or what they might find erotic. And my comment to them is, you know, do you like it? And, you know, is it, as well as it's, you know, uh, no one's under any form of duress or pressure, and it's, you know, something that you enjoy. So I, it for me, it, do excuse me, we're having a little emergency vehicle thing going by here. But what I looked at was, and, and the thing that was really helpful for me and when I realized, hey, it is important that we know these things, there was a woman in a networking group that I was part of, a professional networking group. She was an attorney, and she asked me if I would, could be an uh, expert witness for her, for a case. And I'm like, uh, no, I don't think so. I said, well, what do you need it for? And what it was is uh, an individual who was a cross-dressing uh, prostitute. So it was a man who was dressing as a woman, and his specialty was to do things that would be um, uh, heightened arousal. So in looking at things that can create that type of event for people, and when people are into things that are kinky, believe you me, they have already negotiated really so you know phenomenally with the person I want to have this feeling I want to be doing this I want to create this sensation whatever it may be but what they know is they've they've negotiated every single part of it anyway she uh, he had been arrested on um, his way to a client's home and he had an unloaded gun in his bag. So what the police were going to do is throw the book at this guy. And I knew from having read in this encyclopedia, it's by Brenda Love, by the way, I thought that was kind of unique, Encyclopedia of Unusual Sex Practices, 
that for some people, they like to, it's highly arousing for them to have the fear of they're going to, someone would have a buzzsaw with no chain on it, but they'd run the motor of it and make it seem as if they were going to, you know, cut them or do something. And, you know, hey, it's not for everybody. But the important thing is is that it is an acknowledged form of uh, intimate play or sex play for people. So because I had read this encyclopedia front to back, what I was able to do was get a hold of a colleague who was a Ph.D. teaching at... Uh, the University of California here uh, in the San Fernando Valley, and I asked him, uh, as I said, he was a PhD, I said, would you be able to be an expert witness for this woman, for this attorney, for her client? And fortunately, he was able to do so, and the case got thrown out of court. But that is the importance in my mind. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's really about, you know, the rest of someone else's life that someone says, hey, you know, this is, you know, the, these are the details and having someone who can be the expert for them. So one of the things I thought was rather interesting when I just happened to open it up, they've got all kinds of different types of coitus, in other words, intercourse. And there's Coitus a cheval, of the horse. So it's you're riding someone. It isn't um, rear entry or pegging. It is literally you would be riding this person. I thought, okay. Now, I've seen this in more kink play and where they will have someone who will have a, a bridle on and they'll be prancing like a horse. This is similar thing, but it's, you know, and the other thing is that a human back is not designed to withstand the type of weight. So they, they always give you the little thing about be aware of. There's coitus mammalia, so that's between the breasts. There's coitus unda, which anyone who ever saw the um, film Coming to America, there is actually... This is something that was being practiced on um, the, the, the lead who is in the, uh, in the movie where he's in the hot tub. And apparently it was, so it is play in the bathtub. So it's sex in the water. And this was created by Tiberius Caesar. And he would have young boys who would be trained to swim under the water and nibble on and suck on his genitals. And in the movie, Coming to America, that is exactly what was done, where it said, oh, and sir, the um, official you know, penis is now totally clean. He, refuted, ref, he referred to these little boys as minnows. So that I thought was a cute one. And then there's also coitus interfemoris, which, so that's between the thighs. And so this is something that does not include having um, vaginal or anal sex. Therefore, it is used by many as a form of birth control before marriage. And actually, apparently according to the book, this practice is quite ancient, and the Jewish Talmud 
mentions neighboring tribes who rub their rods between the legs of children to as as a form of practicing masturbation. So the other thing about this, many times because certain uh, cultures and people insist on virginity prior to marriage, this would be something they would use also in certain cultures. They will practice anal sex, but they will not allow vaginal penetration until marriage. In that way, they're still maintaining their virginity. I also know of times when people will use, uh, they will sew back in a uh, tissue so that during, you know, penetration after uh, the wedding, there will be some bleeding so that that can be shown as, yes, indeed, there was uh, an intact hymen. And by the way, the hymen itself is, I mean, it can break uh, just, I mean, it's a tissue and every female mammal has one. There's bovine, so there's, there's cattle have one, porcine pigs have one, feline cats have one. Uh, so it's just that when the vagina is forming in a female mammal, that tissue will sometimes it hasn't been penetrated, but if someone has been using tampons, then chances are the, the hymen itself has already been uh, uh, disturbed, but it also, it's, you know, blood can flow through it. So it, to me, there's something that when I read things about the requirements in certain cultures, the majority of the things in a lot of religions are designed specifically to control female sexual behavior. And that's kind of like across the board. But anyway, here, here we go. So coitus interfemoris. Then we have, I'm going to head on to, there's a lot of things now where people are interested. And given that Fifty Shades Darker will be releasing next week, there are a number of things in this book where they talk about how to tie, how to, you know, the things that will, will give you that, the greatest amount of, it's sort of like surrendering into a, uh, the, a power interplay between the couples. Now, if we think about it, in many instances, I mean, anyone who saw the Super Bowl would have seen what they refer to as, you know, like corsets and things. I mean, Lady Gaga had her stuff. And can you believe people actually were body shaming her for saying that she was fat? I mean, please, people, get a, you know, get a grip. But the thing about the um, uh, corsets is that they're designed to give a very desired shape. And there were some times where it would restrict the breathing so much that the women, you know, they, you know, they would they would pass out because they couldn't. They their lung capacity had been reduced that much. Now the reason that people use corsets in sex play, and it, it can vary. I mean, theoretically, it can make you know some women. Uh, there's that fainting uh, game, very dangerous to do. That some people will do as teenagers, and so experience them. You have lightheadedness and, you know, euphoria during sex play. And for some, it's just, you know, the extension and raising up of the breast so that there can be um, more play with them. 
that it can be something that they wear under uh, an office outfit, so no one needs to know except the, the couple. So there's many reasons for corsets. Now, we're coming up to the first break, and when I come back, I will be going through some more of the uh, interesting, what I think are actually rather interesting things that she has come across that will define things. We've got, you know, the uh, chubby chasers. We have the cicatrization. Uh, uh, so there's, uh, there's all kinds of things. Anyways, I'm coming up to my 15 minutes just prior, and then what we're going to do is I will come back and I will be doing more things from the Encyclopedia of Unusual Sex Acts. Be right back. Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet.com. With such good medicine, ancient Greek physicians sent their patients to visit comedians to be healed. In the 1300s, surgeon Henry D. Mondeville used to tell jokes to his patients in the recovery room. Dr. Mondeville must have been a bit of a vitzel such. That's a person who tells jokes and no one ever laughs. We laugh six times more when in the company of another person than we do by ourselves. And 30 times more when we are in a group. Laughter isn't under our conscious control. If you've ever started cacinating at school, in church, or at a funeral, you know what I'm talking about. Cacinating is another word for uncontrollable laughter. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Now that school has ended and summer begins, it's time to think about what your children and you will be eating. It's easy to buy junk food snacks for them that they love, but I want to urge you to think again and use this opportunity of new schedules to eliminate or at least drastically reduce your family's consumption of junk food. Trans fats, sodium, hidden calories, genetically modified ingredients are all good reasons to give up processed junk food. There are also phosphates, which are the food additives that doctors are linking to higher rates of weak bones, chronic kidney disease, and premature death. Do you want to eat that? Choose instead to eat fresh fruit like nectarines, peaches, bananas, and berries. Nuts are delicious, as are fresh vegetables and whole grains. Don't settle for junk food. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Um, one of the first definitions that I'm going to uh, give a little discussion of is the, it's called kabaza, or pump war, kegel exercises, or as this other thing calls it, the snapping pussy. I'm like, oh, really? So it's translated as the holder. It refers to the Eastern technique where the male partner is passive and the female only uses abdominal and vaginal muscle contractions to milk the penis. Now, both partners simply relax and enjoy the sensations of the union while she moves her muscles. And there are many people who have been to places in Thailand, and they will talk about the women who will shoot um, ping-pong balls, uh, other things, you know, eject them very forcefully out of their vagina. This is the type of thing that they've been doing. And women will train for years before becoming proficient at it because actually the PC muscle is a, it's a small muscle. And if a woman wants to know how strong her PC muscle is, I mean, she can do it in the privacy of her own home. And if she's used to using uh, the small insertable tampons, what she can do is just, just insert two of her fingers vaginally and tighten around it in the same way you would want to stop the flow of urine. And then what that does is if it feels like a thin little line, maybe need to have a little bit of work done, might need to practice some kegels. And what that will do is, because that's a fairly small muscle, the pubococcygeus muscle is fairly small, but it has a lot of, it, it, I mean, it has a lot of responsibilities. It controls the flow of urine. It um, is also involved with controlling defecation. And it's also the muscle that contracts during orgasm. So the more toned it is and the better strength it has, the more orgasmic sensation that one will have um, as a result of practicing this or kabaza. And I remember one time this, oh, this woman was very angry. She and her husband had divorced, and he had subsequently uh, married another woman. And she referred to this woman as saying, oh, right, she's the one that has the trick pussy. And I'm like, oh, my goodness me. Ah, as if some, some, well, maybe some can do tricks, but hello, not many. She was just, like, quite angry about the whole issue. Anyways, I was talking initially in the first segment about the little minnows. And in the movie, uh, Coming to America, it was Eddie Murphy's character who was the prince. So that was, I, I thought that was actually quite cute. Now, here is another one that... When I looked at this, and when I was writing my book, Hot Mamas, I became well aware of this particular behavior. And I'm, it's, the enunciation of it is M-A-I-E, so myosophilia, myosophilia, which is attraction, refers to those who are aroused by women who are going to give birth. And I know that there are, when I was writing Hot Mamas, I was trying to find, because I knew there were many women who had tremendous uh, sex when they were pregnant and others who had none. They, you know, they were, the thing about morning sickness, it's not in the morning. It, it's all day. And the other thing about it is when someone is throwing up, you know, 10, 15, 20 times a day, 
that can be a life-threatening issue because your electrolytes are all out of balance, you're dehydrated. But for some women, it's about 40% of women, according to a study that was done uh, in, um, if I'm not mistaken, in Newfoundland. And what they looked at is 40% of women had a tremendous increase in their libido. And many women have talked about how much more powerful their orgasms were when they were pregnant. And one woman's comment is, oh, I just wish I could go back and have my pregnancy orgasms. They were the best I'd ever had. And if you think about it for a brief nanosecond, it makes complete sense. Orgasms are powered by blood and oxygen. And when a woman is pregnant, first off, there's the heightened increase of estrogen. So everything is feels much more sensual. The genitals themselves often swell and, you know, they might get darker, they might be more purple, they might have, but there's much more blood there. And so you've got a lot more blood and you have a lot more tissue and more sensitivity. So anyways, when, if we think about this too, uh, I'll, I'll just read this. Our early ancestors carved innumerable statues of pregnant women and goddesses. One of the more famous was the Earth Mother of Willendorf, and anyone who's taken an art history class has seen that one. At about 20, and it was carved at about 25,000 before the Common Era, BCE. These carvings were worn as amulets and buried with people when they died. And pregnant goddesses brought forth the world, the seasons, other gods, other humans. So, you know, pregnant women, uh, you know, obviously were very highly esteemed in society. Now, today, we are returning to that. But, I mean, for a long time, women were sort of hidden when they became pregnant. And I remember when Diana Spencer, uh, Princess Diana, was pregnant and this person was designing clothes for her. And he said, you know, I was thinking, God, I've got to cover up this bump. What can I do? And he said, then I realized this bump is the heir to the British throne. Why am I covering it up? Uh, It should be celebrated. And now, finally, we have women being proud of their baby bumps. I mean, it's been, you know, over the last decade or so. But it's also something that we have, it is, uh, we have a little bit of a fertility crisis in this country where people are not being able to get pregnant when they want to. And when they do finally have a pregnancy, they often will, you know, they're thrilled with it and, you know, they'd like to, you know, they have the gender reveals and all of that. But so for some men, though, having sex with pregnant women, there are books of, like literally pornographic books of, I think there was one called Hot Milk and Mamas and another but it was about women who were pregnant and they were being uh, eroticized for these men or these women. They just, they really liked that particular look. Now, if we are looking for something where, you know, the play, there's, you know, some of the kink play can be medical scenes and that is where someone might be the doctor Someone might be the patient. And there could be many things that would be, you know, could be included in this. One of the things I saw at a kink, uh, it, was the, it was a kink conference here in Los Angeles, was the use of sounds. And what that is is a, 
it's a thin um, tube that is goes into a man's urethra, and it can either have uh, be electrostim, or it can just be put in there while someone is in, you know, under a form of restraints. And again, these are things that, when most people are doing this, they are very trained. They everything is sterile. They, when the play is started, the person will say, "I want to see." you know, all of your things that they're still, you know, because they're medical devices that they are using. I want to see that they are still in their sterile packaging. And that, again, the people who are into kink, who practice this and for whom this is, you know, what their turn on is, they are educated about it. It has to be sane, safe, and consensual. But it also, they've got many things that can be done with a medical, uh, medical, you know, scene or kink, there can be uh, the doctor's office itself with the stirrups. There can be a type of uh, suturing if someone is into blood play or needles. There can be bondage. They can have cupping. They can have uh, doing some type of an exam. It's a range of a number of things. But again. To me, if this is something that really works for people and they're adults and no one's under, you know, some form of duress, I truly think it's perfectly okay. They've negotiated it, they know how they want to feel, and they know what turns them on. Now, given that we have the movie Loving, of the couple who she was black and he was white, and they would not allow the people to, they were not allowed to get married in their own state, that is referred to as miscegenation. And it was first used in the 1860s and refers to sex or marriage between two people of different races. And it's interesting for me that in many of the households where they had slaves, it was common for the young men to have sex with the young black slave girls. It was, uh, and so there was something there that was a form of eroticism for them, admittedly, with, you know, someone not doing so of their own volition. But I'm glad to see that, you know, I have a friend of mine who she is black, her husband's white, and she said, you know, if it hadn't been for this couple and other couples, she said, I probably never would have been able to marry, you know, the love of my life. And she's, you know, she's in her early 50s, but she said, this is something that people have to be aware of, that it was not allowed, period, for for decades. So, anyways, here we're coming up to the next break, and when I come back, I'll have a few more things talking about uh, interesting things that I think from the uh, Brenda Loves book entitled Encyclopedia of Unusual Sex Practices, which for someone who practices them, it's normal, you know? It's what they do. It's what they, you know, enjoy. So here we come. We're coming up to the seven seconds. I'll be back with more unusual sex practices.
This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. With your host, Lou Paget. techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. weather give you the blues? Well, you're not alone. A recent poll by the Associated Press says four in ten Americans say weather definitely affects their mood and winter is by far the season most likely to leave them feeling down. When it's cold outside, given the choice between grabbing an extra blanket or snoozling with someone special, most people choose snuggling. More people decide to start dating in the winter as well. I guess we all need someone to snoozle with. What's a word for a person who is fond of cold weather? A chymophiliac. But whatever your climatic preference is, seems people are just playing into the weather. Still, whoever is praying for snow, please stop. It's marching. Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. This is the TokiNet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. Network presents the Diva Download with Tracy and Tasha. If you think Diva is all about attitude and drama, think again. The Diva Download is the premier online radio program where girls of all ages, shapes, sizes, and colors get together to redefine what it means to be a diva so that all girls can discover their inner diva and develop a healthy sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Being a true diva means you're diverse. Involved, value-driven, and active. That's today's diva. If you want to celebrate the girl in your life through education, encouragement, empowerment, and entertainment, join us every week on Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and celebrate the essence of being a girl only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. As I was just flipping through the book, I found this great little negotiation questionnaire. And, you know, it's something, as I said, people who are in the area of kink, they, are, they negotiate everything. And they're very clear on what it is and what they want to do. But I also wanted to refer to something called mysophilia. And it refers to becoming aroused by smelling, chewing, or rubbing against something that would have uh, a scent from another human being on it, whether that is genital discharges or blood. And, you know, locker rooms provide sort of an abundant place for people who is a mysophile. But also you have many times if there's something we've heard of many women discovering 
that someone who has access to their um, living quarters where they live, someone making off with their underwear. And that would be someone who this would be, you know, what they are, you know, interested in, the, the scent, the smell. And many times for someone who would uh, have this happen, it's something that they didn't expect to find, you know, dirty laundry arousing, but it was because, like, your brain isn't making necessarily conscious decisions about what you find erotic. And I will use an example of a man who had been watching uh, uh, adult material, and what he was watching was this man masturbating in front of a group of women. And for him, that then became his gold standard for what turned him on. And the issue that I had with him, and I told him, I said, you're going to get yourself into a lot of trouble, is he had asked me if he could do this in front of the women who were in my seminar. And he came... We, I happened to be on a hike with a number of other people, and he found out that I was the person who did the seminars. And he came after me like with a, you know, like a beeline, and I was like, okay. And he wanted. I said, why are you wanting to do this? He said, well, to show them what a man would like. I said, that's not going to be of any benefit to any person who's in my seminars. I said, first off, it would be a violation on my part to have you know, you in a room where it's always only women. And secondly, this is something that is your fantasy. It isn't telling them a damn thing. I said, this is about you and what you want to do. And here's the issue. This guy was a doctor. And for me, my concern is that he would have these women, and he was also happened to be um, a plastic surgeon. So that means... These women are under a form of anesthesia, and I was thinking, this guy could get himself into a whole hell of a lot of trouble by thinking that he could get away with doing this, because it wasn't a turn-on for him unless they were women who didn't know him. It was, if the woman was a stranger to him, that was erotic. But if he knew the woman and he had been intimate with the woman and it was his girlfriend, this was not erotic for him. So I told him, I said, you've got a few major disconnects here that you better get a hold of and address because I said, you could get yourself into serious, serious trouble. Um, uh, another thing that we see a lot more of is open relationships, swinging relationships, um, whether you want to call them orgies or whether you want to call them sex parties, hey, you know, there's, it's almost like an, you know, an advert or advertisement in the New York Post where they're writing an article about people who are paying for the very high end up to 75000 a month for these masked sex parties where the majority of, of the women have very little clothes on and the men have... Uh, tuxedos on, but it's uh, uh, put together by an individual so that people who want to have uh, a type of sex play party have a place to go to where it's an exclusive group and you can, you know, you can enjoy it. I mean, it's 
written up on the site for the New York Post. And I was like, okay, we see more of these things coming out. And what we also see is more couples where they they will have an open relationship and then they will have a closed relationship, meaning they will only be sexually intimate with one another. Now, you probably are aware that someone who is uh, into in, in uh, polygamy or polyandry, those are states where someone would have uh, another man coming into the relationship or another woman. And for some, you know, it's practiced on a religious level, but the important thing is people know what they want to do. It isn't something where you can have an open relationship uh, pardon me, you have a close relationship and you have an affair and then you say, oh, I'm going to bring this person in as a new partner. Uh-uh, won't work. Sorry. And I use Dr. Nan Wise as my expert in that area because she is the first one who taught me about uh, poly lifestyle, whether it's a quad like four people or uh, tried three people in it. And really one of the most important things about having an open relationship is controlling its scheduling and it's about controlling, you know, the emotions that come up because when someone is preferring someone else over you, that can be a little threatening. And I know for some it ends up creating a change in the dynamic of their relationship that sometimes they are not able to come back from it. So... When people say they want to have an open relationship or try it, I I ask them, in your fantasy, it may seem like it's a great idea, but in all actuality, it's not, you need to be, speak with people who have gone through it, gone through it, gone through the other side, and people who um, had a great time and people who did not. Because once this is like, once you've done this, you can't go back. Okay, it's it's already you've already energetically moved through it. And I also just talked here for a brief moment about the negotiation questionnaire and you know preferred preferred role, safe words, the safety. What are you doing? What are your goals? And here's the other thing that you must be aware of: that when people are practicing this, they also have a very important um, they they bring the the person back down. So that nurturing at the end of the playtime is very, very important. And it's something that it, it allows the person from from the heightened, you know, endorphins of the brain to relax and have the soothing and, and come back into their bodies. Now I'm going to talk here about uh, the different types of orgasm that she refers to. And many people will they'll definitely go, yeah, yeah, I've, you know, I can understand the altered state orgasms. And the, the one thing is some people refer to it as le petit mur, the little death. And, but also the altered state is that, uh, you know, you literally have moved into, your brain has a a level of serotonin is excessively high for the people who believe have this occur. And so it may also feel for some people like a near-death experience. 
So now I'm talking here about astral orgasms, which I have to admit, I know some people who have had these happen. And in order to talk about these from a scientific standpoint, it's almost virtually impossible to do so. Main reason being that the people, when they are studying orgasmic response, all they can look at is whether or not the data supports it. So they can't talk about pleasure, but people who have had astral orgasms, this could be something where they, the person feels like their consciousness is leaving their physical body and traveling to their astral body. And I think if people understand that we are all energy, it makes more sense. Now, again, this is what the authors notice. This phenomenon is not the type that can be verified for science, and for that reason we can do nothing more than mention that it is a type of orgasm and has been reported by several people. When I wrote my book on orgasms, The Big O, I also had found nowhere about people who were having core orgasms or orgasms while they were exercising. And now people do talk about it, and it's invariably after someone has done some very intense aerobic workout and then they start doing crunches. And again, going back to what is it that powers orgasms? Blood and oxygen. So when you have a lot of blood in the pelvic area and you're crunching, what do you think you're crunching on? In some instances, it's, you know, the, the uh, clitoris and everything has become much more engorged because of the aerobic exercise. And men have them happen as well. So just because they can't verify it by science, and by the way, sometimes science is not everyone's good friend when it comes to uh, things in the area of sexuality, because it, many times if they don't think that it happened, they will just poo-poo that it happened uh, to someone else, whereas people who are in the area of sexuality know that people have spoken about this or were aware of this or that women could have an orgasm just by focusing on something erotic, they, what they would call a, you know, a think-off, and they knew they could do it. And when it, they, they, they believed it when these women were in an MRI and they actually had an orgasm while they were lying in this lab. So here we're coming back with more orgasms after this note. <laughs> Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet with your host, Lou Padgett. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet.com. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. 
USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. It's marching By the time this show is over, you'll blink at least 30 times. The average person normally blinks about 20 times per minute or 17,000 times a day. A faster rate usually indicates anxiety or emotional stress. What's the word for someone who blinks a lot? Squintifigo. FBI agents have identified a specific type of blink that they directly associate with gamer staying. That's a person who tends toward deception and fraud. Attorneys, also known as pedophoggers, look for blinking when they have people on the stand. The eyelash flutter means they really do not like the question at all. Women blink more than men, but when a man blinks at a woman, he always appreciates a wink back. What's another word for flirting? Hazoku. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. One of the other things I found when I was going through the Encyclopedia on Unusual Sex Acts is how many of them have now become much more mainstream. As I talked about prior, the um, openness and having multiple partners or um, the uh, swinging, and that you know, there's more, uh, there's much more of that going on. Also, uh, I go to a trade show. It's entitled the Adult Novelty Manufacturers Expo. And when I was there this uh, past in, in the beginning of January, there was a a new booth that I saw, and they had just started carrying this particular line. And what it was, it was all clitoral jewelry. So imagine something that is a, it's all stainless steel, and they have decoration on them, and they are put over the head of the glands, clitoral glands, and then the inner labia. And so what they do is they would hang down between the outer labia, but also they would act the same way that a cock ring would on the penis, which means to keep the blood into the three chambers of the penis so that they maintain their erection, you know, longer and more firmly because the blood does not flow back out when, because with each wave of stimulation, there's more engorgement, but with the cock ring in place, the passive flow of blood doesn't come out. So the active flow, it goes in, but the passive doesn't come out. Same thing with what they refer to as clit jewelry. So it will be worn, and it's something, you know, a woman can wear for herself, 
or, you know, her partner can put it on for her. And, you know, if she decides she wishes to go commando, she, you know, could have, you know, have that little, little viewing for her partner. Another thing that is, you know, talking about is pubic hair um, fashioning. And now that's just kind of like the norm for everyone. And again, as I said last week, if you don't really want to get rid of everything, don't do laser first off out of the gate because there's a boyfriend who thinks that's what he wants um, or a girlfriend who thinks that's what they want. This is about your body. And before you make a permanent change, you know, check with, you know, how long will this, how long will I be doing this for? And is it something that the, uh, you know, I may want to reverse, you know, my decision on it. Penis modification. One of the things that we would, about 15 years ago, that I was aware of is men would cut the suspensory ligaments at the top of their penis, which would cause it to drop forward and, and to make it look like it is longer when they are flaccid. The issue with it, though, is that it often um, leaves the penis without having a lot of... It, it's not very stable when it's erect. And that's kind of like the idea, you know, with the suspensory ligaments. And once they're cut, you really cannot... Well, I suppose you could sew them back together again. But it is, it is a very delicate operation. And, you know, as one man said, so he wants to have bigger swinging meat in the locker room? That's just for a bunch of guys. You know, why would he be doing this? Well, men, I mean, if men could enlarge their penises the way women could enlarge their breasts, whoever makes the person, you know, makes that uh, discovery would be very, will be very well compensated and make a, you know, a small, large fortune. Now, here's another thing that I, when I mentioned it in my seminars, there was a nurse. And I said, you know, it was a, shaft sleeve that I was using as a, a, a toy that could be put on a man's penis and it had lo- very soft bumps on it. So what it would do is during penetration, the motion back and forth, it would create more stimulation for the woman. And I said it's based on the idea of certain cultures and you know, they, they talk about it, you know, Burmese bells, tinkling bells, and it comes from tribes in Southeast Asia who used bells and stones and ivory and jewels and things to implant them into the, the skin of the penis. And, you know, they're made of something that, so that, and then that would create a scar, but it would have these little beads, it would have these little um, bumps on their penis and this nurse goes oh my god is that what that was and she said she would have some of her asian clients and she said they you know when they're they're on the table and she said the sheet may slip off and she said i go to put it back on and you know have them you know have the dignity of you know being still covered while they're you know unconscious on the table and she said i would see their penises and they would have all these bumps all over it. Now, apparently the Yakuza, who are the Japanese mafia, still insert 
pearls into the area between the outer skin that slides freely over the inner core of the penis, and the pearl is inserted and bandaged until it heals. And they, you know, add a pearl to their penis each year that, you know, apparently that they spend in jail, good heavens. But the important thing about this is that for some women, it makes them much more sexually desirable. And when I was making this comment to her, she was like, I finally get what they were doing. She said, it didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. So the next one I would like to talk about are what, (laughs) Karina just wrote, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's right. Um, uh, Another thing, pheromones are things that many times people will think, oh, I can, you know, get a uh, fake pheromone when Paris Hilton was doing her um, perfume line. She was using, she was having a pheromone being put into her uh, perfume. So in other words, her perfume was so desirable, it was creating, you know, making someone be, uh, you know, attracted to them without knowing. And I remember uh, there, there was a woman who, her name was Winifred Cutler, and she had two different lines, one for men, one for women. She was a uh, researcher, and she had done the work. And pheromones themselves are, they're odorless. You can't smell them. They're tasteless. You, you can't see them, smell them. But what she did is she created one that could be put into your perfume. And then what she did is she did a her control thing to try and see if it worked, was she had two identical twins. She had these identical twins in a bar. And one of them put the uh, perfume on and sat at the bar and saw how many people would approach her. And then her sister, then she went into the bathroom and then came out and to see how many men would be attracted to her. And she didn't have the pheromone-based perfume on. And there was an astonishing difference between the two of them. And another woman claiming that, you know, she was a you know, 55-year-old woman who was an executive and all of a sudden she was wearing the perfume and she was being approached by men in the, you know, when they had lunch in the, you know, executive dining room. She was kind of like, wow, this never would have happened before. So, but the thing about them is you need to have something that you know is a good quality. Otherwise, Basically, you are just, you know, you're just basically wasting your money. And here's another one that I saw an, uh, an exhibition of this. It's called Kodoshka. And it's the sexual teachings are part of the tradition of American Cherokee Indians. And Kodoshka seems similar to Eastern, you know, sex tantra in that it emphasizes breathing techniques, energy balance, and whole body orgasms. But what it does also, having uh, seen this, is it utilizes Cherokee ceremonies and like a saging and the wing of, you know, a, uh, of an eagle and using these as a way. And it's, it, it does blend what we would think of as tantra and yoga into a way that, but it is also very much about the breath. And watching people who have done this, I can tell you that it is, um, 
you, you know, it's almost like they're, they're, they're hyperventilating. Another thing that is not so different now, but many people um, do now, is different forms of penile piercings, whether it's, you know, the scrotum, whether it's the clitoris, whether it is through the opening of the, uh, the urethra. The thing about all of these is that if they are done in a way that is safe and someone's not, you know, on drugs or under the influence of something, it really is someone's own, you know, it's, it's really their own way of doing things. We now have apps where people can control the toys of their partner, and I was at a Super Bowl party, and the woman said, what are the newest things that are coming out? I said, more apps on phones that someone, if someone's traveling or someone could be in the other room, or you're out at a dinner, the person could be turning on the vibe for the woman or for the man, and no one need know except you, you know? It's, it's only all about what is working for you. So I hope some of this has been interesting and new for you. I, I find that sometimes I think, because I know it, uh, other, everyone else must know it as well, and then I realize, no, um, it's not at all like that. The wrestling that sometimes is done, those are typically men who want to be controlled by women, and they're usually men who have very high-powered jobs. So if you want to look up any of these things, you know, the Encyclopedia of Unusual Sex Practices, and I trust for anyone who might have thought, oh, my, my ideas are, you know, really weird or they're unusual, they're probably not. There's probably, invariably, there's someone else out there who would like to try it with you. Have a fabulous rest of the week. Thank you for being here, and I will talk with you next week. Bye for now. Thank you for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget 